1: This is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the slave girl, who is at her hand mill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud weeping throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any man or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and your people who follow you, and after that I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. He spoke the word of God to Pharaoh. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. I apologize to those on the internet for poor sound. We're still struggling with a new board, a new mixer. We may have to replace it with another. We're waiting on a sound engineer from Wava to come. If he can't repair or set it right, we'll replace the board. I'm trusting Jesus with this. So I apologize to those of you who are on the internet for the poor sound quality. The story of Moses and the children of Israel and the plagues falling on Egypt were simply a dress rehearsal for what will come and what is now beginning to come upon the world. Address Rehearsal So it does us well to carefully study what happened in the time of Moses, to understand Revelation. Again, this week, we'll deal with these issues. Did you note, this is what the Lord says, About midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. It did not say, every firstborn son of Egypt will die. It said, every firstborn son in Egypt will die. That included the children of Israel. Every person, every firstborn person in all of Egypt is under a command of death when the angel passes over. Now we know that death comes from sin. It's clear in Revelation 6, I'm sorry, in Romans 6:23 there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In Romans 6:23 says the wages of sin is death. So the children of Israel have walked in sin, they are very much like the Egyptians. They have adopted the Egyptian culture. Many of them worship the gods of Egypt. So, what makes the difference? Why, why is there a difference between the children of Israel and Egypt, the Egyptians? For a, a sentence of death is passed on all of them. You see, God can never ignore sin. Holiness can never ignore sin. Wherever it is found, it must be dealt with, and it is dealt with by death, by judgment. I open saying, the judgment of God is coming upon America. It is here now. I just read a report this last week about Penn State University. I ministered for many years in Pennsylvania, I have a great love for the state of Pennsylvania. But Penn State University has now admitted that newborn babies out of the womb have been surgically had their kidneys removed. No anesthesia, just the kidneys removed and other body parts and sent off to NIH. Sent off to other so-called research centers. Babies murdered. This is what happened in Nazis, Germany. This is not supposed to happen in America, but this is just the beginning of what's happening in America. Corruption on every level of government? Corruption in business? Lies? Deceit? The shutting down of a family's business? For what? For the flu? I mean, America has been brainwashed. America has been deceived at every turn. Corruption has entered in. An election hacked by China and stolen. When I look at America, the vileness of America is like a geyser exploding over the land. And the church, the American church, what does it do? It sits in comfort. the angel of death, is now passing over America. We see it in the fires in the West. We see it in the hurricanes that are coming. We see it in the torrential flooding. We see it in the drought. We see it in death, in sickness. All of this is just the beginning of what we're going to see in America. America as God's judgment and the death angel passes over this nation. We're in trouble. We're facing famine, food shortages. We're facing famine. It's not the first time famine has come to America. In the Great Depression, some 7 million Americans died of starvation. Many Americans have little concern about this because you've always been able to go to the grocery store and buy an abundance of whatever you want. What are you going to do when that abundance is no longer in the grocery stores and you can't buy what you want? The Twinkies are no longer there. What are you going to do when the meat and potatoes are no longer there? We need to look very carefully at, what happened in egypt as a foreshadowing of what's coming on america let me read for you second peter the second chapter i'm going to begin reading in verse 4 for if god spared not angels after having sinned But he delivered them to chains of dense darkness, having held them captive in Tarsus, being kept for judgment, and spared not the ancient world, but preserved Noah and the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, having brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah he condemned with destruction, having reduced them to ashes, having made them an example of things coming to the ungodly and delivered righteous lot, being oppressed by the conduct of the unchecked immorality of the lawless. Verse 9, So the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out from temptation and to reserve the unrighteous now being punished for the day of judgment, but especially the ones going after flesh the lust of uncleanness, even despising lordship. So the Lord knows how to bring judgment. He does not have unconditional love. He brings judgment. The children of Israel deserve the same judgment that the Egyptians deserved but it was not to be. There was a change, and we call it the Passover, the Pesach. That is, the wing of God was extended over the children of Israel so that their eldest son or the eldest of their cattle did not die. No one died in Israel. Why? Why? because of the wing of God covering them. But it had content. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. They were to take a year old without defect, either of a lamb or a goat. They were to slaughter that lamb at twilight. They were to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses, and they were to eat the lamb there. The same night, they were to eat meat roasted over fire with bitter herbs and and bread made without yeast. They were told they were to eat with their cloak tucked into their belt, their sandals on their feet, your staff in your hand, eat in haste, it's the Lord's Passover. Pesach, it's the Lord's wing. His mercy is covering you. Well, he says, I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you that the house where you are And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. It's called the Passover. I want to read a passage for you out of the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, let's... Let's look at this fifth chapter of 1 Corinthians. Let's understand that that lamb was a sacrifice. It was a sacrifice offered in the stead of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that the sacrifice of the lamb represented Jesus and the sacrifice he made on Calvary. So what was the difference between the children of Israel and the Egyptians? Both groups were sinners. Both peoples were worshiping false gods. Egypt no more deserved the judgment of God than did Israel. But God was choosing to demonstrate his awesome power in the nation of Egypt to bring forth his people. And where did he take them? He didn't take them to the promised land. He took them to the desert. He took them to the desert in order to woo them, to win their hearts, to see if they would believe in him, if they would love and serve him, if they would be obedient to his word. Now, You know and I know the children of Israel were not obedient to the word of God and the result was the men all died in the desert. So God spared them the death angel. But he later took their lives and they could not enter the promised land. That's a very sober thing for us to think about today some of you believe that you're saved in the midst of your sin imagine a little boy saying to daddy daddy Moses said we were to offer the lamb and we were to put the blood on our doorposts yes son but we don't want to waste that lamb. I don't believe anything will happen to us for God loves us and he's calling us out. He's delivering us. So we're covered. We don't need to slaughter the lamb. That little lamb is very valuable to us and we'll need it later. And the little boy says, but daddy, what if I die tonight? And the father says, you're not going to die. You're covered. You're run, You're okay. Trust your daddy's word. And the little boy is very happy and he says, Okay, daddy, I trust you. Thank you. I'm going to go to sleep now. And he never woke up. Because when the death angel passed, he took that little boy's life. Now imagine another little boy little boy says, Daddy, we have to put the blood on the doorpost. But I'm very concerned. Will the death angel still take me? Will God still save me? And Daddy says, yes, son. The blood of the sacrifice will cause the wing of God to cover our home. And we'll be safe. The little boy is very concerned. He's very earnest. He repents of all of his sins. Mom and dad confess all their sins. They prepare the Passover meal. They do it together. They recognize they have no standing before God except by grace. And by grace... God offers them salvation. The little boy can't go to sleep. He's fearful of that death angel. He knows he has sinned against God. But daddy reassures him and says, son, you've repented. We're waiting now for the great deliverance. And a cry goes up all over Israel. A cry of deliverance. As they hear the wailing of the Egyptians. And they know the death angel has already passed by. And did not come to their home. Husbands died. Sons died. Animals died. Judgment. But they were covered by the wing of God. But I want to tell you today the wing of God, the blood of Jesus, that removes the curse of sin from us, has real content. Let me read for you this passage. 1 Corinthians, the 5th chapter. Paul is speaking to the church. He's not speaking here to pagans. He's speaking here to serious Christians. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Leaven is coming from the Old Testament understanding of sin. You could read it, Do you not know that a little sin leavens the whole lump? You must purge out the old leaven, that you may be new, as you are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed in our behalf, so then we may keep the feast, not with the old leaven, not with the old sin, neither with the leaven of malice, wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in the epistle not to associate with sexually immoral persons, and yet did not mean complete disassociation from the sexually immoral persons of this world, of the covetousness, of the swindlers, of the idolaters, for then you ought to go out of the world. But as things now stand, I wrote to you not to associate with anyone being named a brother, if he may be sexually immoral or coveting, or an idolater, or a drunkard, or a swindler, and not to eat with such a person. Now, what is it to me to judge the ones outside? Do you not judge the ones within? But God judges the ones outside, and you remove the wicked from among yourselves. And then verse 8 of chapter 6. This is 1 Corinthians 6, verse 8. But you do wrong and cheat and these things to brethren. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You must not be deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters. Nor adulterers, nor the effeminate or homosexuals, nor same sex activity, nor thieves, nor coveting, nor drunkards, nor abusive persons, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And these things some of you used to be, but you were washed, you washed yourselves. You were made holy. You were made righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I want you to understand today, the judgments of God come upon the unrighteous. But is God then, in His grace and His mercy, does not destroy the unrighteous, but calls us out of our sin and calls us into the fellowship of the church. But if the church is filled with the unrighteous, with divorce, with abortions, with bitterness, with lying and stealing and uncleanness, if the church is filled with the wickedness, where does God call his people? He finally says, call, come out and be separate from them. Don't participate with them. Deal with the sin in the church. Wouldn't that be a new day in America? If it became clear that any person who continually walks in their sin must be removed from the church put out of the church and treated as a pagan. That is, every effort is made to win them to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true gospel of righteousness, of holiness, of oneness, not of legalism, but by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. This last week I listened to a, a wonderful sermon by a man of God, He began his sermon by going directly to the issue of original sin, describing how every Christian, every every person was under the same condemnation of sin that we all started there. We look in the book of Romans. Indeed, righteousness is out of faith from God. Why? Because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have been utterly unrighteous, deserving of hell. There is no good man. Jesus said God alone was good. Now, this pastor followed that theme up out of the book of Romans and spoke very forthrightly about the wickedness of man. And he said there is only one hope for man, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm agreeing with him, and I'm enjoying his heartfelt message, his earnest plea that we recognize the condition of every human heart, that we not play games with sin. He continued, We must, by faith, step onto the narrow path, and we must walk the narrow path and it will take us to heaven. For anyone who receives the grace of God will enter the kingdom of God and will be saved. And there he concluded his message. I was frankly heartbroken because what is faith? Is faith empty of content? Or does faith have content? Is there salvation in Jesus Christ from sin? First John tells us that Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. Did he come to destroy the work of the devil in my life? Yes, that's why Jesus came. He came to destroy the work of the devil in your life. Have you let the blood of Jesus Christ do its work in your heart? Or have you still been playing games with God? Have you been like that first little boy I described who who was very concerned about the death angel until his daddy said, Don't worry, you're safe. Has some daddy preacher told you, You're safe, you're saved in the midst of your sin. It's very clear. The wages of sin are death, and no grace can wipe out the wages of sin. They are fixed. It is death. The wing of God, faith in the blood of Jesus, has real content. The blood of Jesus transforms a man or a woman, a boy or girl, into an utterly new person. And if it does not transform you into a new person, it's because the blood has not been appropriately applied to your life. It's not by works. It's by faith in Jesus. I want to read a, a passage for you. Ephesians, the second chapter. And you being dead in the trespasses and sins in which you formally walked, I want you to note, the Apostle Paul is saying to the Christian, you used to walk in trespasses and sins. You formally walked according to the age of this world, according to the ruler of and authority of the air, the spirit now working in the sons of disobedience, whom also we all once formerly dominated by the lust of our flesh, doing the will of the flesh and the mind. And we used to be by nature children of wrath, even as the others. All of us start there. But if you're still walking in the lust of the flesh. Now let me, let me try to bring this home. Jesus in John the sixth chapter tells us that we're to eat his body and drink his blood. He calls it real food and real drink. The question is, what do you feed on? What do you feast on? If you're feasting on the things of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you're feasting on the video games, if you're feasting on the television, if you're feasting on the movies, if you're feasting on money, if you're feasting on power and prestige, if you're feasting on what a great person you are, if you're feasting on these things of the flesh, you're sinning against Almighty God. and you're still dead in your trespasses and sins, even though you have spray-painted yourself with a Christian label, you're not a Christian. If you're still going to the lust of the flesh, if you're still going to the fornication, if you're shacked up with somebody you're not married to, if you're still in your mind giving yourself the option of lusting after the opposite sex or the same sex. You're walking in trespasses and sins of the world. Faith, the whole salvation process is by faith in the blood of Jesus. But the blood of Jesus has power. The blood of Jesus is active, scrubbing us clean, washing us of every wicked thought, every wicked action, breaking every addiction. All addictions, whether food addictions, drug addictions, sex addictions, they all are demonic. They all have a demon involved in your life. Let me continue reading. This is Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy by means of his great love with which he loved us, even while being dead in the sins, he made us alive with Christ. You've been saved by grace. Please understand, grace means unmerited favor. You didn't do anything to deserve this grace of Jesus. It is given to you freely. You are saved by this grace. But understand, in the scriptures, grace is not a covering or a blanket that covers your sin. Grace is the work of God in your heart to cleanse and purify and turn your heart against the devil and the ways of the world, to turn your heart against sin. Verse 6, he even raised us up together, and he seated us together in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus in order that he might show himself in open exhibition in the coming ages with reference to the surpassing wealth of his grace in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For by the grace you have been saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin. You see, you can't walk in sin and not bear the penalty of sin the children of Israel. They were saved out of Egypt only to die in the desert because they would not receive the grace of God. They were the people of God, and yet they died in the desert. They were not saved. They might as well have died under Pharaoh's hand as to die in the desert. You have been saved by means of faith, and this is not of you. It is the gift of God, not out of works, so that no one may glory in himself. For we are his workmanship, having been changed completely in Christ Jesus for good work which God prepared beforehand in order that we might walk in them. God has prepared a whole work for you to do. Remember what we have shared about the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What have I just prayed? I have come now as a believer in Jesus Christ. And I am saying now, Father... Let the kingdom of God come upon the earth. Let the will of God be done upon the earth. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. I'm saying, let me now cooperate with the work of God. Let me now, I am washed, I am made clean, I am restored, and now my energy my life is given to building the kingdom of God in loving the saints, in loving the sinners and teaching them the way of righteousness. I've been with many Christian people. I've been in many prayer meetings. My heart is deeply grieved when I go into a prayer meeting and I find a resistance in the hearts of God's people to cry out, to pray, to pray for the lost, to pray for the kingdom of God to come. I know why. Because they're still mixed up with the kingdom of flesh. And they can't rightly cry out to God over the coming of his kingdom because they have not committed themselves to building the kingdom of God. And then I hear another kind of prayer and and many are willing to quickly engage in this prayer. Thank you Jesus for your wonderful love for me. Thank you that you've blessed me. Thank you that you gave me a job. Thank you for my family. Thank you bless 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 do this do that and we give God direction. And that grieves the heart of God as well. You might as well not pray if you're just going to pray a bless me prayer. Because it won't go higher than the ceiling. The prayers that God hears are prayers of repentance, of honest turning from wickedness and asking to be wholly sanctified. God answers those kind of prayers. God answers those kinds of prayers where we, in our weakness, in our devastation, come to him for comfort and healing and the repairing of our broken heart. God hears the, the cry of a broken, broken and contrite heart. But the prayer that God most quickly will hear is the prayer when we cry out for the kingdom of God to be established on the earth and we ask, what's your direction for me, Jesus? What would you have me do, Jesus? How would you have me use the money you've given to me? How would you have me use my time and my energy? The great desire of my heart, O God, is to build your kingdom, to bring forth your glory, Jesus. I love you. Now use me for the sake of your kingdom. Prepare my heart, O God, that I could be used by you in this great work of kingdom building. He hears and answers those kinds of prayers very quickly. Those are the prayers I cry out before him day and night. I cry out, for hours before I come to this broadcast, asking him, what shall I say? What's your heart saying, Lord? What word do you have for your people today? And I know some of the word he has for us is build my kingdom. Pray as an intercessor for my people. Cry out that my people will repent. And that'll send revival. Those are the heart cries that God wants to hear from His people. And when you sit in silence and you will not pray, many of you who listen to this broadcast, it comes to Friday prayer day, you won't pray. The devil's got his hand over your mouth. I know why you don't pray. You're afraid. To be afraid is to fear punishment. It's not from the Lord, it's from the devil. All fear of that nature comes from the devil. The Lord sends us fear of of himself, which is respect and a willingness to put everything aside and seek after Jesus alone. That's the cry of his heart. I have one more passage of Scripture that I want to share with you today you know we're going to spend a good bit of this week on the Passover. And we'll go into what it means. We need to understand it. But I want to read for you Isaiah, the 35th chapter. Just listen and let it it soak into your soul. This is Isaiah 35. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord and the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to the fearful of heart, Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. I want you to hear that, America. Divine retribution is coming upon America because of the abortion, the murder of our babies, because of the corruption, because of the wickedness in high places. The judgment of God is now falling on America with drought. The judgment of God is falling on America with fire. Whole towns are being burned. Homes are being burned. The judgment of God is coming upon America with hurricanes and tornadoes. It's coming with floods, with sickness with wicked government leadership. You think our president is not a plague upon America? Look at the devastation. I mean, this is not something that is going to come. It's here now, and it's going to grow much worse before it gets better. And America must repent, or it will be utterly destroyed. If it is not utterly destroyed, God will have to go back and apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah, for we have become more wicked than they. Now I continue to read, chapter 35. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, the mute tongue will shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool and the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those whose walk is in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get upon it. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. That's what we have to look forward to. Now, we're almost out of time for this broadcast today. I just want to say a huge and humble thank you to each person who helped us cover the month of July. Thank you. The cost shoves toward 4,000 a month, every month. We're now working on covering the month of August and we'll soon be halfway through. If the Lord is prompting you and you believe that this message needs to go forth, if you believe this gospel message is important and the Lord prompts you, I ask would you go to our webpage nationalprayerchapel.com and you can give online or you can write to me at National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I thank you in advance for your obedience to the Holy Spirit. I believe this gospel message needs to go forth. If you agree with me, I'd love to hear from you. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.